Take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read God's Word on. And today I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Now, if you're not sure where the book of Matthew is located, uh, let me give you some quick pointers. If you're in a physical Bible, turn to the table of contents. You'll find that the Bible is broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So find the New Testament, first book is Matthew, turn to that page and then flip through until you get to chapter 18. Now, if you're in an app, what I would encourage you to do is pull down the list of the books of the Bible. You'll find that Matthew is about two thirds of the way down that list. Locate Matthew and go to chapter 18. Now, have you ever counted something or tried to count something that was just completely impossible to count? Uh, I remember as a child, before the day of cell phones and, and portable gaming devices, I would go and be in situations where I was incredibly bored. I would uh, go to a doctor's office or I would go to a meeting that my mom or my dad had and, and I would just be bored out of my mind not knowing what to do and I would be looking up at the ceiling and if there were tiles, I'd see if I could count all the tiles. If, there was, if it was a popcorn ceiling, I'd start counting the little popcorns. And you know as well as I do, if you're in a room that's got a popcorn ceiling, there's just no way to count all of those little popcorns, all those little nubbins that are up on the ceiling. It's just not possible. Your mind is not designed to be able to comprehend and keep track of where you left off and what, whether you counted that one or not. And there are so many things, like I was driving down Scottsdale Road today and I was, as I was driving, I was just admiring uh, the trees and the green grass and I thought, wow, I bet that it is completely impossible to count all of the leaves on all of the trees along Scottsdale Boulevard or Scottsdale Road. It, there's just too many. I think it'd be impossible to count the leaves of the trees just on the campus <clears throat> here at First Southern. It, it's one of those things that are too big for us to comprehend. It's too massive. It's unimaginable. And there's something that Jesus points out to us that is unimaginably given to us. Something that is so big and so massive and, and so numerous that our mind actually can't fully comprehend just how much is given. And so that's what we're gonna look at today in Matthew 18. So take your Bibles or your apps and let's go ahead and read today's passage. We're gonna be in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. So Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Now, as you're turning there, uh, I wanna point out that if you were to go back and read chapter um, 18 from the beginning, you're going to find out that the passage right before what we're going to read in verse 21 is all about what happens if someone sins against you and how you go about confronting that sin or if your brother or sister in Christ are in sin, uh, how you go about talking to them and, and helping them out of their sin. And then Peter brings an interesting question when we get into verse 21. So let's read that. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, saying, have patience with me, please, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But... When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, please have mercy with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, They were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow, what a passage. What a beautiful teaching from Jesus. So let's look at this for just a moment. Let's kind of unpack some of the ideas that we have here and let's walk through what Jesus is actually trying to teach us in today's passage. So Peter approaches Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, Lord, are we, how often are we supposed to forgive our brothers and sisters? Should we forgive them seven times? Now, think about what Peter's asking. If you go back and you read some of the writings of Jewish uh, religious teachers of this day and time, you're gonna find that most of the religious teachers thought that it was very godly to forgive the same person like three times. Oh man, if you can forgive three times, what righteousness, what godliness you would be showing. And so Peter coming to Jesus and saying, how often should I forgive my brother? Should I forgive him seven times? Peter is thinking he's being like super spiritual. He's thinking, wow, Jesus is gonna be so impressed with what I'm about to propose to him. Instead of just saying, should I forgive my brother three times? I'm gonna say, should I forgive my brother up to seven times? So he's thinking, wow, I'm gonna look so righteous in front of the Lord. But what is Jesus's response to Peter's question? Jesus goes, no, 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 not seven times. Instead, you should forgive 77 times times. And that's significant. 77 times is a huge number, but it's a symbolic number. It's so much more than tracking the number of times you forgive someone until you hit 77. That's not the point that Jesus is trying to teach us here. He's teaching us that there's so much more to forgiveness than counting how many times we've forgiven someone. 
So let me give you some, some ideas of what a Jewish person in Jesus's day and time would have been thinking when they hear Jesus say, no, not seven, but 77. So numbers had a lot of meaning back in Jesus's day and time. In the Bible, numbers have lots of meaning. There, there's deeper meaning to numbers throughout the Bible. And so seven is a very symbolic number. So there's seven days in the week. Seven was a number of completion or a number of perfection. You know, when God wanted to show that something was, had come to full completion or that something had been perfected, there was usually the number seven associated with that. And so Jesus is taking this seven idea, this, this number of completion or perfection, and he is giving a seven and a seven together, 77. And so there's that. It's also a multiplication of the number that, that Peter himself is proposing. So Peter says, should I forgive my brother up to seven times? And Jesus takes that number and blows it out of the water by multiplying it by 11. He's saying, no, 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 no not seven, but 77. He's not saying count your forgiveness. He's saying just forgive, forgive and forgive and forgive. Stop limiting and instead just do it. But there's a very, very, really significant meaning here that I don't want us to miss. You see, if you go into Genesis chapter four, uh, especially into verse 24, there's this account. So back up, book of Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. It gives us the account of creation and Noah's ark and it tells us about Abraham and many of his descendants. But... If we go into chapter four, we've gone through the creation account. We've gone through Adam and Eve and the instance where Cain kills his brother Abel. Uh, you can read about that in Genesis um, chapter four uh, in the beginning of the chapter we're in. But then Cain, who has just killed his brother, is cast out. And he goes and begins having kids and, and multiplying. And one of his descendants is this guy named Lemek. Now, Lemek was a truly evil man. And if you go and read some of the ancient Jewish writings, the commentaries on the Old Testament, what they call the Hebrew Bible, you'll find that Lemek is actually the poster child for evil. Lemek was literally the guy that everybody looked to and said that was the most evil person who's lived. We don't want to be like Lemek. And so Lemek was this horrible man. He, he did horrible things. And he goes and makes this bold proclamation to his family. And in that he says, um, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, he's hearkening back to something that's happened earlier in the chapter. When Cain was cast out, he was worried that people would pursue him and seek revenge because he had killed his brother Abel. And God says, no, 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 I will protect you so that your line can keep going. And if somebody comes and hurts you or tries to kill you or does kill you, I will pass a curse on them that is sevenfold what they did to you. And Lemek has the bold audacity in verse 24 to say, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemek's is 77-fold. Did you catch that number? Did you catch what Lemek said there? 
If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. You see, as Lamech being the ultimate poster child for evil, he says, if Cain was gonna see the revenge sevenfold for anyone who tried to hurt him, if someone tries to hurt me, it'll be 77-fold. This evil, this wicked Lamech is declaring 77 to be the number of revenge that would be put on people that would try to come against him. And then Jesus in Matthew 18, uses that same number. And there is a connection there. You know, 77, seven's used a lot throughout the Bible, but 77 is not used that often. And so when Jesus says 77, he's actually pointing back through the Old Testament to Genesis chapter four, verse 24. And he's saying, look, look at this horrible, evil person. He wanted revenge taken by 77-fold. But you, as followers of Jesus, Jesus is saying, if you're gonna follow me, then your forgiveness should be the polar opposite of what Lamech did, and your forgiveness should be 77-fold. Your forgiveness should go on and on and on and on. As Lemek was the poster child of evil, you, because of the forgiveness you've been given, should be the poster child of forgiveness, of goodness, of love. And so Jesus is making a contrasting statement between who they saw Lemek being and who Jesus was calling them to be. Don't be like this guy. Go to the other end of the spectrum and be this godly guy or girl. The idea is that forgiveness should be extreme. Our forgiveness should have no limits. It should have no conditions. Uh, we should be able to forgive as God forgives us. And that's exactly where he goes in the parable. So uh, we look at this parable, the parable of the king who forgives the servant. But before we get into talking about the parable, let me give you my big idea. If you've ever watched or listened to any of my messages, you know that I give a big idea that, that summarizes, a simple statement that summarizes the main point of the message. And today's big idea is this, forgive because you've been forgiven. It's simple. It's cut and dry. It's black and white. There's, there's not nuance. It doesn't rhyme. It's not catchy. It's simply forgive because you've been forgiven. You see, that's what Jesus teaches us in this parable. So think about the parable with me for just a moment. You have a king, the king symbolizing God. He, he, the king uh, in this illustration, this parable, this, this you know, story that has a spiritual truth to it, in this parable, in this story, the king symbolically represents God. And this servant comes and he owes this great debt. The Bible tells us that the debt was 10,000 talents. Now, let me kind of crunch the numbers for you. Uh, there are a lot of different ways that guys have estimated what this is. Uh, but based off of what I've read in the Bible and uh, how money was counted back then, 10,000 talents was somewhere around $6 billion in today's currency. Six billion with a B. Six billion dollars is what this servant owed to the king. 
And so the servant realizes that this is a debt that, that could never be repaid. It is unimaginable. It is too big. And so he begs the king, please have mercy, have patience with me, and I'll pay this debt back. Now, let's be honest for a minute. Did the king or that servant truly think that that servant had the cap capability to pay a $6 billion debt? Of course not. It's completely unreasonable. There's no way, no matter what that servant did, he could make himself and his wife and all of his kids work full-time for the rest of their lives and they wouldn't even put a dent into that debt. Six billion dollars. It's just too big. It's a debt that could never be paid. And the king, knowing this, the king says, okay, you can go and your debt is completely wiped clean. Your debt is forgiven. This unimaginable debt, this, this uncomprehensible amount of money that was owed is completely forgiven. And so what does the servant do in response? The servant leaves, and I would imagine that he would be very relieved. Guys, I'll tell you right now, if somebody forgave a massive debt that I had, if somebody came to me and said, hey, I'm gonna pay off your mortgage for you, I would be ecstatic, I would be excited, I would be so thankful. But that's not what we see with this servant. The servant leaves and he, find, he bumps into one of his fellow servants who owes him 100 denarii. Now, a denarii was roughly one day's wages. So we're talking 100 days worth of working. Now, if you do the math based off of what the denarii was worth and people's wages back then, we're talking somewhere around $12,000. $12,000 is not a small amount of money, but it's certainly not $6 billion. And so he bumps into this servant that owes him $12,000 and he says, pay up, give me my money. And what does the servant do? He again, he begs for mercy, just like that guy had begged the king for mercy. But I want you to notice a couple things. Look with me again in Matthew 18. I wanna look at verse 24 and verse 28. In verse 24, we see how the king deals with, how he handles, how he brought in the servant. And then in verse 28, we see how this forgiven servant deals with the other servant that he had bumped into. So verse 24, look at how the king brought the servant to him. It says, when he began to settle the debts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 10, talents. Basically, he, he summoned, he had this servant brought to him. The servant wasn't forced. The servant wasn't uh, coerced. The servant was simply said, hey, the king wants to see you, come with me. But then look at verse 28 and look at how the, that servant treats his fellow servant. Verse 28, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And look at what it says. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Do you see the difference in how the king treated the servant versus how the forgiven servant dealt with his fellow servant? 
night and day difference. The, the king dealt with the servant that owed an unimaginable debt, incomprehensible, an, an amount of debt that could never be paid off. He treated that servant with gentleness. He simply summoned him and then ultimately forgave him. But then that servant who had just been, had his debt wiped clean, been forgiven, that servant turns around and mistreats, abuses his fellow servant that owes a much smaller amount. He seizes him. The, the Greek there, which is what the book of Matthew was originally written in, the Greek language uses a term of forceful grabbing and, and controlling and almost taking someone forcibly into submission. So he seizes him and it says he chokes him and demands his money. And the, the prisoner, or the, the man begs for mercy. Give me pay, be patient with me and I'll pay back the debt. This is a debt that's reasonably could be paid. $12,000, if you are working full time, making a decent wage, $12,000 is a debt that you could pay off at some point. It may take a couple of years. It may take a little bit of time, but someone could reasonably pay off $12,000. Not $6 billion, but definitely 12,000. And so the servant who had been forgiven this massive debt will not forgive the debt of his fellow servant, even though it was so small in comparison to what he had been forgiven. And so he sends that servant into prison. And back then you could send someone to prison and the prison system would work that person and pay a debt off to someone else through the working that that prisoner did. And so the idea is that this servant has thrown his fellow servant in prison so that that servant will be forced to work and work and work until the debt is paid off. But look at what follows with this. Look in verse 31, verse 31. It says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. You see, the people around this wicked servant realized what was going on. They were paying attention. You see, guys, the world is watching you. The world knows that all of Christianity is based on the forgiveness of Jesus. The world has a basic concept. They have an idea that Jesus has forgiven us. It may not be universal knowledge, but it's fairly common knowledge. If you've heard anything about Christianity, it's a faith of forgiveness. And so the world is watching, knowing that you've been forgiven. And they're watching to see if you're going to turn around and forgive others. Believe me, they are watching you. They're watching all of us to see how we treat others. And so the king receives this report that this servant has really been mistreating another one. And he calls him in. And he says, you wicked servant, how dare you? I forgave you of this huge debt. And then you turn around and mistreat someone that owes a small debt. You should be thankful. You should be forgiving just as I was forgiving. So it says in verse 32, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so the king throws the prisoner into prison. And the symbolism here is that because the prisoner, because this servant who has become a prisoner now, the king threw him in and requires the debt to be paid off. So now this servant now has that $6 billion debt placed back on him. How long in prison do you think it will take him to pay off a $6 billion debt? It'll take forever. He could live multiple lifetimes and that debt would never get repaid. The idea here is that you and I have been forgiven a debt that is immeasurable. It's incomprehensible. We cannot fathom the number of sins that we've been forgiven of by Jesus. Not only that, God forgave us through a huge sacrifice. God gave his one and only son to forgive us. And maybe you're watching right now. Maybe you're listening and you don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you've got questions. Maybe you're confused. Or maybe you want to make a decision for Jesus today. Maybe that's what's happening in your life. If that's you, let me just briefly explain. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came to this earth and throughout his 33-year life, he never committed a sin. And the reason that's important is he didn't commit a sin because he then, at the end of his life, died on a cross. And because he was sinless, he was able to take our sins on himself and take the consequences of those sins. You see, as sinners, you and I are destined for eternal suffering. But Jesus died on a cross to take that suffering on himself so that instead of receiving eternal suffering, you and I could receive eternal life with Jesus. So Jesus died for you, to forgive you. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. He rose up from death, declaring that he conquered death and sin. And he reigns in heaven. And if you want eternal life, you have to believe in him and dedicate your life to him. And, and if you've got questions, if you're confused, if you want to know more about this or you want to make a decision for Jesus, what I want you to do right now is grab your phone, grab your device. I want you to text the word changing to 94000. That's the word changing to 94000. We will have somebody reach out to you and talk to you about beginning a life-changing relationship with Jesus. You see, we've been forgiven. Jesus died on that cross to forgive us of our debt. And it is a debt that no matter what we did, we could never repay it. There are not enough good works, good things, good deeds. There's not enough money that we could donate. There's nothing we could do to pay off the debt of sin that we have acquired over the years of our lives. But Jesus came along and like this king, he wiped that debt free. He wiped it clean so that we could be freed 
from the consequences of our sins. He rescued us. He rescued us from our sins. And he wants to rescue you. But rescuing means because we've been forgiven so much that we in turn go and forgive others. So it means, what does forgiveness actually mean? Forgiveness means that God forgave you. He canceled a debt that you could never repay. He forgave that debt. And it means that when we're forgiven, we turn and forgive others, which means that we decide rather than seeking evil or thinking evil or seeking revenge on somebody, we seek blessing for that person. We seek good for that person. Let me be clear. It doesn't mean when you forgive, it doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean that you don't put up healthy boundaries to keep yourself from being hurt again. It simply means that you recognize that you've been forgiven countless times. And in turn, Jesus asks us to forgive countless times. And so I, I, if you've got questions about this, I would love to talk to you about it. Reach out to us this week, and I'd love to unpack this more, but I wanna get a little specific with maybe where you're at in the process of forgiveness. In the process of saying, I need to move mentally, emotionally, and spiritually from wanting evil to happen to a person because they've hurt me, and instead moving to a place where through prayer and through my relationship with Jesus, I desire that they be blessed and I desire good and I don't seek evil or revenge on them. And so who is that for you? Maybe it's just an enemy that you have. Maybe it's somebody that is just treats you terribly. Maybe it's a politician. Maybe right now you're struggling to forgive some politician for their policies or the things they voted for, the decisions they've made. Maybe for you, it's a former relationship. Maybe it's a friend who stabbed you in the back. Maybe it's an ex-wife or ex-husband. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe your parents treated you really bad as a child and they hurt you, and you, you're damaged, you're, you're suffering today because of what your parents did. Maybe, flip that, maybe it's a parent that needs to forgive a child. Maybe you're a parent that has a child that has treated you bad, taken advantage of you, taken things from you. Or maybe a grandparent who has a grandchild that has mistreated you or manipulated you. Maybe it's a coworker or an employee, or a supervisor, or boss. Maybe it's someone at work that has just treated you terribly, or, or mistreated you, or hurt you. Whoever it is, forgive. And the only way to forgive is through Jesus. There is no way to truly go from wanting evil for a person and thinking terribly of, of a person and wanting bad things to happen to them and wanting revenge on them. There's no way to go from that thought process and that mentality towards a person to going to a place where you seek to uh, see good, where you want blessings to happen to that person. The only way to do that is through Jesus. The only way to have the capacity to forgive that kind of thing, that kind of hurt, is to have Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, act 
inside of you and move you to be a person that forgives no matter what the hurt may be. You know, Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, he is literally dying unfairly, unjustly, as an innocent man. He's hanging on a tree, dying. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If Jesus can forgive the people who killed him, I think it's easy to say that through Jesus, we need to seek forgiveness for the people who have hurt us. None of you watching have been crucified by someone. So who is it in your life that you need to seek to forgive? And you may be listening or watching right now and you may say, but they don't deserve it. They, they didn't ask me to forgive them. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. Have you earned it? Do you deserve God's forgiveness in your life? No. You certainly don't deserve the, the horrific death and sacrifice that Jesus gave in order to forgive you. So whether a person deserves it or whether they ask for forgiveness, that is inconsequential. It does not matter. The fact of the matter is, is God forgives you when you don't deserve it. So we turn and forgive others even if they don't deserve it. And you may be thinking, yeah, but Chad, you don't know what they did. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how deeply I am hurt. Again, I don't think that matters. It may make the process of forgiveness take longer and it may be deeper and it may involve more, but the amount of hurt you feel does not dictate whether a person receives forgiveness from you or not. Forgiveness is not optional as a follower of Jesus. Forgiveness is a command. You know, look at how he concludes this passage in verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you go into Matthew 6, Jesus gives us the Lord's prayer, a famous prayer. Uh, many people memorize it and say it at bedtime. They teach it to their kids. But if you look at the two verses right after the Lord's prayer, Jesus makes it clear that if you're not willing to forgive others of the way that they've sinned against you, then he will not be willing to forgive you in heaven. The fact of the matter is, it, it doesn't matter whether a person deserves it. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how much they've hurt you. And I know that's hard to hear. The fact is, is Jesus forgives you infinitely. You can't track, you can't trace, you can't count the number of sins you've been forgiven of. And in turn, Jesus says, forgive. Remember the big idea, forgive because you've been forgiven. You've been given an unimaginable amount of forgiveness. Go and give forgiveness in the same way. Should I forgive my brother seven times? <laughs> no, not seven times. 
but 77 times. Be the poster child for forgiveness so that you can lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you. God, today we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you have forgiven us more times than we could ever imagine, more times than we could ever try and count. But Lord, we also recognize that we struggle to forgive others. Even though we've received so much, we struggle to give it. So God, our prayer today is that you would forgive us, help us out of the immeasurable amount of forgiveness that we've received, help us to give forgiveness in the same way. No matter what they've done, no matter what we feel about them, no matter how hurt we may be, help us to go through the process of forgiving others. And if we struggle in this area, I pray that you would lead us to people that can help us grow to be a forgiving person. So Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.